welcome to the Chicago Justice Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. This week, we feature a very in-depth discussion with reporter extraordinaire, Dan Milahopoulos, government and politics reporter at WBEZ Radio in Chicago. What do we talk about? Well, we talk about his incredible reporting on the Chicago Park District sex abuse scandal, sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual harassment scandal at the Park District. And we talk a lot about the politics. Who did? Who knew? When did they find out? And how did the players like Mike Kelly and Avis Lavelle get in place? Um, why do we have such a meek response from the city council? Why do we have such a meek, lame, what I would say horrific response to from the mayor? And, you know, one question I want to put in your head before we go to it, because I'm just going to jump quickly into it. It's, it's almost an hour long conversation by itself, is um, what good is diversity? if we're gonna get the same response, regardless of the gender and race of the people in charge. Now, yes, we need to make sure we have diversity. I'm fully for it 100%. We need to make sure that people have the opportunity to advance. But we had a black female lesbian mayor. At the same time, then we had a black female chair of the park district board. We had a white male running the park district. They kind of all acted more or less the same. They didn't really do anything. What the hell of good is diversity if there's going to be no change? The mayor's response, in my opinion, was meek and wouldn't be any different than what Rahm Emanuel or Mayor Richard Daly did. Then what's the difference? Then why diversity? other than just providing the opportunity, which by the way, again, I'm all for, but wouldn't you think there would be differences? And this goes into, think about it really into the, the meat of why we do the podcast. It's the same thing with female policing. The, the thought was originally they would treat female victims of sexual abuse and rape differently than their male counterparts. The evidence I don't think really bears out that they do that in general on average. So we're going to jump into this. This The discussion should piss you off. What Dan was able to uncover and the response and the politics, all of it should piss you off. So we're going to jump into it with Dan and I'll see you on the other side. We are very lucky with us today to have Dan Milahopoulos. He's the government and politics reporter at BEZ and then previously at the Sun-Times. And then I think at the News Cooperative, if I got the line, the through line there right, um, we're going to talk about an amazing set of stories. I know everyone complains about the media. I do my fear complaining about crime coverage, the daily crime coverage, which is really hard to do, but I don't think it's done as well as it could be. Um, but I like to talk about when, when journalists kick ass and really make a difference. I like to highlight that. Dan has been doing that for a long time. This story, it's amazing. And if you leave this podcast and you're not pissed, we have not done our job because you should be very pissed at the city and everything um, they were doing. If you're watching on YouTube, the link will be below. If you're listening to the podcast in the post on our site, the pod gets posted, the links to the stories will be there. We're not going to uh, go into in depth each of the stories of each of the victims um, simply just don't have enough time. You can go read the stories. It's really, um, 
really, really should be a story that pisses us all off because it's all filled with just like swarmy, sickening politics and uh, misogyny and like hating of women by women, but we'll get into that. So uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the introduction. You're, you're very kind. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Okay. I'm not sure if you can tell us, but I have to ask, how did this story come to your attention at BEZ? So it was the spring of 2021, and uh, I got a tip from someone who said, uh, I know your work on some other stories, and I've got something that I, I think is a big story, and I've got documents, which of course piqued my attention uh, and my, uh, more than my curiosity as an investigative reporter on the government and politics team, where I dedicate myself to sort of doing the stories uh, that maybe you haven't heard about, but that you will be hearing about and that you should be caring about. Um, that, that's sort of the standard. And so the documents that were given to me by this person who shall forever remain nameless at a diner in a distant suburb uh, where we were not likely to be spotted uh, by anyone, uh, the documents that were given to me in the spring of last year were just scores of pages of confidential internal inspector general reports from the Chicago Park District. And we saw from these reports, there were three different cases that had been uh, brought to the attention of top Park District officials and the Park District Board. Uh, there were cases involving uh, sexual abuse and even sexual assault that was possibly criminal, according to the in Inspector General. So the Inspector General obviously is someone that conducts uh, investigations for the Park District, but is not literally law enforcement, they mm -hmm. can't. But they said that it looked like the, these were crimes. And more important than those three cases was a description in there that they had been doing this investigation for more than a year at that point, that they had dozens of allegations of sexual harassment, abuse, and assault across the aquatics division, across what they used to call beaches and pools, um, that there were complaints to the CEO and to the mayor uh, that, that started this investigation, and that there was, in fact, a six-week gap between the first complaint to the CEO and the second complaint to the mayor, which finally prompted them to go to the inspector general but dozens of complaints that it was made clear that this was endemic, that this was ongoing investigation, and that they had a lot more work to do. But clearly, it was not moving that quickly if you have dozens of allegations and only three cases that have been brought to the board at that point. Now, this was the spring, like I said, and we were coming up on the season for beaches and pools in Chicago, which is uh, short, relatively speaking. <laughs> But, you know, it starts around Memorial Day. And we thought, wow, they're going to sit here and take applications for lifeguards as young as 15. I think you have to turn 16 by maybe July 1st or the 4th of July. Don't hold me to that. But there's kids as young as 15. And they don't know that this problem has been endemic and that it's under investigation. But they're sitting here advertising for kids to come and work at minimum wage or only slightly above, where they're in an environment that they're people that have faced these accusations and are still still there on the job, supervisors primarily. Uh, and we later found out in their 20s and even 30s, uh, preying on young girls 
and, and young women. Okay, so God, so that's disgusting. how it started. Disgusting, not how you, but I used the whole thing. So I think um, for our listeners, there's obviously a range, and I don't want to minimize anything. There's a range of the activities that are in these allegations. Correct. So you said sexual harassment, sexual abuse, and maybe sexual assault. Can you give us just a quick example of like three examples? What are those in those each of those categories? What is the behavior you're talking about? So I'll give you the first example is one of the two cases that the state's attorney has uh, where they have charged supervisors um, was uh, involving um, supervisor several years ago on the northwest side at some pools who went into the locker rooms and allegedly sexually assaulted um, young female lifeguards. Uh, police investigated that later, uh, really after um, our stories last year, they started investigating it. Prosecutors got involved, individual was arrested and charged, uh, a guy named Hector Koz, C-O-Z. That was one example. Uh, there was another supervisor at Humboldt Park. You know, they have that lagoon mm -hmm. uh, at Humboldt Park where, where you can swim. And he was, I think, 31, 32 when he allegedly had a, a sexual rule contact, I shouldn't say relationship, uh, sexual contact with a 16-year-old that he supervised. Um, and I think his name was Mauricio uh, Ramirez. Uh, and then, you know, like I said, just the sort of culture of pervasive harassment and misogyny going back decades. We've interviewed more than a dozen former lifeguards who going back to practically when women were allowed and girls were first allowed to become lifeguards because at one time it was an all male domain at the beaches and pools in the lifeguarding corps. And it was 1969 when they started allowing female lifeguards to apply and to work there. And so the oldest person I've interviewed who said that she was sexually abused in a, in a, in a, um, Park District uh, workplace uh, is a woman who is now in her 60s and is a grandmother. That was in 1976. So those are three of the dozens of examples um, uh, from, from the three first cases that, that I told you about th that, that were first brought to the board and to the top officials at the Park District. Uh, they've now documented, I think, uh, 29 cases through the Inspector General. And that, that's not even uh, talking about the criminal cases that I mentioned. I think they've investigated 48 or 49 uh, allegations and substantiated 29 of them. When you want through, to talk through the inspector general yeah. alone, when people want to talk about institutional problems, right? They're talking about institutional racism, institutional this, here we go. This is something if you're going back to 1976 and it's still active in 2000 or 2021, what the hell can you say other than it is incompletely institutionalized? Um, right. Okay, so explain to us who, all right, I guess we should start here. The Park District, it's supposedly independent, theoretically, from the right. city council, the Park District and the board. How true is that in reality? I don't think it's true at all in reality. Um, I, I think on paper, the Chicago Park District is, is separate. Uh, it has a separate budget. It has a separate board, but the CEO and also the board 
our appointees of the mayor who are essentially rubber stamped by the city council. They have to be approved by the city council, but it's a rubber stamp process. It always has been. And so this allows mayors, you know, to sometimes have plausible deniability when they don't really want to catch heat for what happens at these quote unquote sister agencies like the park district or the Chicago housing authority or the Chicago transit authority. But in reality, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you have a sister or a sibling, but unless you can dictate to your sister in some sort of medieval way, everything that they do or everything that they can't do, I, I don't think a sister agency is really what it should be called. I think it's a misnomer because uh, they're really uh, part and parcel of City Hall. And I think whenever there's an issue that rises to the level of, of the media, uh, uh, that they're calling straight back to the fifth floor into the mayor's office. And uh, certainly when the mayor has wanted to get involved in issues involving the park district or the CHA, uh, you know, for instance, at the park district, you know, Soldier Field is part of the park district, but obviously the mayor is not going to say, oh, I have nothing to do with the Bears and whether they move to Arlington Heights or not. Yep. So I, I think, yes, they are technically separate, but in effect in this city, no. I mean, it's like saying that we have a strong council, weak mayor form of government that, that may be true on paper, but it's not true in reality. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So explain to us, and we're going to get right into the politics here. Explain to us, Mike Kelly was the head, if I'm not mistaken, he was the head of the park district. Correct. And these complaints started coming in. What, who is he? And how did he get there? Because I think his story of how he got there a little bit is kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I knew you would ask me that and I forgot to check one thing. So Mike Kelly's from the Southwest side, from the 19th Ward. It's, it's sort of the... Beverly to Bridgeport, Southside Irish, White Sox fan, Power Corridor, historically in Chicago, 11th Ward, 19th Ward, 14th Ward. These are sort of the political dynasties and sort of the, the pillars of the, the Chicago Democratic machine historically. So he comes from the 19th Ward. Um, and, uh, you know, we actually sued the Park District at one time. Uh, and are still suing them, uh, and we can get into that later, for Freedom of Information Act violations mm. uh, when we asked for documents pertaining to this situation. One of the things they wouldn't give to us originally were who recommended Mike Kelly when he came over to the Park District uh, about 20 years ago. And we we did get that, but I don't have it in front of me right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, the, you, you know, um, so by the time we got it, the problem is he had already resigned as a result mm -hmm. of this uh, lifeguard abuse scandal and his his mishandling of it, but um, but Mike Kelly comes from from a clout heavy ward and he worked for Mayor Richard M. Daly's administration at City Hall before he went over to the Park District again under Daly when, when Daly was the mayor and and effectively controlled the Park District and everything else um, in, in taxpayer funded government in the city of Chicago at that time and and you know to be fair he was a lot more powerful. Than the current mayor, I mean, in the sense that he could dictate pretty mm -hmm. much, uh, you know, like they say about Pinochet, a leaf could not move in, in <laughs> Chicago uh, without him uh, allowing, leaf could not blow in the wind, I think is the saying in, in Spanish. But, um, you know, Tracy, uh, he was a guy that had some clout and he had been at the Park District before this, this scandal came to light. 
uh, for about 10 years. And like I said, one of the two original complaints went directly to him. The second, uh, or the first one, actually. Right. And so if I remember from your story, did he sit on that complaint? Right. Right. Uh, we knew from the first story that he sat on that for six weeks. Um, and we published that in the first story in late April of last year, that there's a six week gap that they could not explain between the time of the first complaint from a young woman, which who alleged very serious uh, issues uh, to the second one. So that was, um, I guess, probably in February that he got the first complaint. I think the second one was in March of 2020. Uh, and then a few days after th that was to the mayor's office, mayor's office forwards it to the park district. And finally the inspector general becomes involved and they keep it out of the public eye for another 13 months until we broke the story in April of 2021. Now, they would later hire um, an outside lawyer, I think a former federal prosecutor, to look at all this chain of events. And uh, she would find that apparently he knew about this actually six months before uh, it went uh, to, the, um, uh, to the inspector general. And, to, and um, so it was, it was even worse than we first thought. Uh, and that's when um, the mayor forced him to resign in the fall of last year, many months into this situation. But, you know, when we first did the stories, he wouldn't talk to us. He claimed he did nothing wrong, um, blasted out an email to pretty much anyone on the park district's mailing list. You know, my editor got it because her kids uh, go to like camps and everyone got this thing where he's like, oh, we did nothing wrong. We acted immediately. And we asked, how did you act immediately? if it took you six weeks, which is what we knew at the time, uh, and he wouldn't answer, held a press conference at a beach where he forced all the, the top people at the park district to come out uh, and um, says again that he, you know, he gave it to some of his uh, uh, top aides and told them to look at it. But again, they could offer us no documentation of that. Yeah. And so eventually the external uh, investigation from, a, from the outside counsel, the special counsel investigation, if you will, uh, found that, you know, that was actually a lie that he, they had not, uh, in fact, uh, started investigating it in any substantive way until the mayor got the second complaint. And it went in March of 2020 to the inspector general from the park district, who was moving at an extremely slow pace. And in fact, the, the outside counsel found that there were no reforms and no real attempt at reform until April 27, 2021, which not coincidentally was the day of our first story on WBZ about this topic. All right, so my next question was the Office of Inspector General. So the independent investigation says, acting really slowly. <laughs> well, I guess, first of all, do they have the independence within the park district to do the job? And secondly, do we have any idea, was it staffing? Was it incompetence? Was it corruption? Do we have any inkling of what, what was going on with the OIG that they were moving so slowly? So this is what we do know, that um, they hired an outside law firm to help them. Uh, the law firm of a guy named Jim Franzik, who you probably know mm -hmm. from pretty much every union negotiation involving the city of Chicago or any of its sister agencies. Uh, he's on the management side of those union negotiations with CPS, with CTU, 
Um, and uh, so the story comes out, they hire an outside law firm to help them with the investigation. Now they have said in writing that they lack manpower. It's a very small office, you know, five, six people at any given time. Uh, they have a very small budget, which was expanded, I think, at some point during the course of this scandal. And then in the summer, several months after our first story, they let go of the deputy inspector general, who, by all accounts, except the official account, by all accounts, <laughs> from all the young women that we've talked to, uh, was leading the investigation, had the confidence of the young women, is a lawyer named Nathan Kipp. Uh, who had been at the CPS Inspector General's office, they suddenly let him go without any explanation. And he gave us an interview and issued a statement to all the media um, in which he believed that uh, there was very likely a whitewash going on. And so at that point, we start to look into Kip's boss, who was Inspector General named Elaine Little. And we, we looked into her and we found some information uh, basically from her divorce. She was married at one time to a state representative, uh, Curtis Tarver. And in that divorce, we found that uh, Tarver had made some allegations against Elaine Little, who's at this point, the uh, inspector general leading this investigation for the park district saying that um, she, and so there were documents in her divorce showing that she had a relationship with someone who worked at the Cook County uh, Juvenile Jail at the same time that she was director of investigations at the Cook County Juvenile Jail. In fact, they had a kid together, went on a trip to Belize together, and she was under investigation for all that. She, she denies that she did anything wrong, but she was an under investigation for all that at the time she left the Cook County Jail. Now we can talk, I'm sure all day, especially you and I uh, about Judge Evans and the lack of transparency in the judiciary, they're not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. Yep. So, you know, through divorce files one way or another, we got some documents that, that delved into this situation. The day that we did that story, although Elaine Little says that the story was not fair to her, that uh, she had done nothing wrong, Elaine Little resigns as the inspector general. At this point, it's September of last year. And so the deputy inspector general is gone. The inspector general is gone. There's an outside law firm, like I said, who's involved here. Then another outside law firm is brought in to investigate uh, the, the handling of the situation. And uh, it becomes a very complicated situation. Around the same time, the state's attorney for Cook County, Kim Fox, does something that she's only done in one other case, as, as far as I know, in the case of a guy named R. Kelly. And she actually gets up and says, if there are any victims, come forward. We have a hotline and we're dedicating uh, people from two teams, sex crimes and also public corruption unit, to look at allegations uh, stemming from the Park District the sex crimes themselves, as well as the handling of the matter by leaders at the park district. So at, by that time you have, you know, not only inspector general's office completely wiped out uh, at the top um, as a result of, of the way that they handled this issue, but you also have, like I said, an outside law firm hired to help investigate the sex crimes, an outside law firm 
to investigate the park district's handling of it. And the state's attorney, the, the law enforcement, as well as, as some police detectives, by the way, looking into sex crimes and, and possible public corruption allegations in, in this situation. So I, I, I know it's very, there's a, there's a lot of tentacles. Yeah. I hope I've explained it pretty clearly. No, I think you've done a great job. And um, the mere fact that all of that exists is just shows you how freaking horrible it is, um, how human beings in power cover up sexual assault allegations that by the way, they're not responsible for doing. Like, I don't understand the motivation. Like if I'm, I'm Kelly, I get that and I'm like, here, hey, that get the executive, uh, the OIG on the phone right now. I want a record clearly that shows this got to the OIG within five minutes of me getting this. Well, he, here you he go. Did, yeah. Right yeah, and I mean, get he, my hands off it. It's yours. Go do, go take out who you need to take out. Go get them. Well, I mean, to be fair, he, he did say, I think at one point, I, can, I, I don't know if I can quote him directly because he did a media tour at one point to try to spin all this, right? When he realized mm -hmm. that we weren't going away, I guess. And, um, he did a media tour that didn't involve uh, an interview with us. He went to different TV stations that frankly asked him, uh, you, you know, softball questions or just let him prattle on. Uh, there were other broadcast uh, stations that I think he gave interviews to and maybe, maybe some print uh, publications, but excuse me one second. No problem. But, but he, um, uh, he said um, that maybe, you know, exactly what you were saying uh, in a nutshell, that um, you know, if he had if he could, had to do it again, maybe he would do that and, and just uh, send it immediately to the IG. But you know, he didn't really have any misgivings and didn't think that it had done any harm. Uh, but again, I don't know if I want to quote him directly. Uh, but yeah, I think what you're saying, of course, makes perfect sense. And ultimately, he paid with his job, uh, which is, is a very high-paying job. Uh, I can't remember the exact salary off the top of my head, but you know what is it, 250000 or, or, or something like that per year uh, that he was making, um, maybe three hundred. I, I can't recall off the top of my head. But, you know, he had a, he had a contract. And uh, eventually he was, he was forced to resign. And uh, I'm sure you're going to want to ask me also about the, not only the CEO and general superintendent, Mike Kelly, but the Park District Board President who followed him out the door a few weeks later in, I think it was November. That's my next question. The park district, head of the park district board, chair, I guess is the name, the title, is someone most of our listeners, at least from Chicago, know, Avis Lavelle. They've heard that name. So can you give us a description of Ms. Lavelle's position among the political landscape of Chicago and kind of how she got to be the head of the park district board? I'm sure it's not from her love of parks and her long history of being an environmentalist. I think she would say that she loves Chicago and she loves the parks and, and she was on, on the board for quite a while and the president as well for several years until this scandal forced her out. And she says she did nothing wrong. Uh, but, um, you know, who is Avis Lavelle? She goes way back. You know, she was in the media at one time. Then she was, I believe, the first press secretary for Richard M. Daley. Uh, I think she worked for... Um, a number of politicians nationally, maybe it was Clinton. And then uh, here in Chicago, uh, she started a public relations firm that had uh, clients with deep interests, contracts and concessions and other deep interests at City Hall. Among her clients was the parking meter company at one time. And I think the Skywing 
uh, concessionaires <laughs> because you know the Skyway was privatized also on yeah. the daily. So she, she's done pretty well uh, in that realm. And uh, it's a highly politicized realm. Uh, she's one of these people, I would say, it doesn't matter who's in or who's out in City Hall, she's in. Or she finds a way to make sure she stays in. And uh, so she was the uh, Park District Board President, I think the first Black or first Black woman president, certainly, of the Park District Board. Uh, Emmanuel appointed her, Rahm Emanuel. And then, although Emmanuel didn't run for a third term, and Lori Lightfoot was elected to replace him, Lori Lightfoot kept her as the president of the Park District Board. And that's where she was when this scandal came to light. Uh, we know that she knew about it going back to 2020, um, at least the summer of 2020, um, where she there was a briefing. We have a copy of the PowerPoint presentation that the Inspector General's office gave her. She, she said she couldn't remember if she had actually received that presentation or not. But you know, by that time, the Inspector General is telling her and Mike Kelly, at least according to this PowerPoint presentation, that there are a lot of cases uh, at beaches all over the city, a lot of alleged um, uh, survivors and a lot of alleged perpetrators. I can't remember the exact number by that point, but it was you know all over the city uh, that they were looking into this. So you know the IG. I don't know how independent the IG is of uh, that office at the Park District. Um, it may vary according to who the board president is, but. Uh, in this case, at least, there was information going to the Park District Board President and then finally to the whole Park District Board by about March of 2021, uh, so many, many months into the investigation. Uh, and then, you know, Avis Lavelle uh, survived longer than Mike Kelly, but not that much longer. In episode two, and I'm sure you've heard this uh... Wagas Alderman, 32nd Ward Alderman, Scott yeah. Wagaspak talk about this. But at some point during this, and I can't remember all the timing either, he has a meeting with some park, leader, park district leadership, including Avis Lavelle, because he's starting to get outspoken on like wanting heads to roll. And she makes a comment off the cuff comment to him about how the, all of this, all this really is a sour grapes on behalf of the women that were assaulted. Right. I, I did hear that. Um... I think he made that comment first on Ben Jaravsky's uh, podcast also. And, um, and he told me that as well. Uh, look, Scott Wagaspak, chairman of finance committee, uh, was pretty much one of the few, if not maybe the only person out there on this issue to begin with. So at one point uh, last year, probably not even a year ago, they had a couple new board members for the park district uh, board of Commissioners that had to be approved by the City Council. They have a hearing, and I think Scott Wagaspak and a few others, very few others, tried to question them. Like, what are you going to do about this scandal? And Nick Spazzato was the head of the, the committee at the City Council, Alderman Spazzato. He's the, the head of the committee that's supposed to kind of have hearings on these new appointees mm -hmm. and vet them before sending it to the full City Council for their you know rubber stamp approval, which they got. Uh, of course, inevitably, and Spazzato cut off the questioning. So he says, well, they weren't there when this happened, so don't, don't subject them to this, uh, which I thought was, was frankly ridiculous. But Wagaspak was out there on this issue, 
And he did have a meeting uh, before Mike Kelly left. I think with Mike Kelly, I think maybe Waggis Peck brought his chief of staff. Alderman Michelle Smith was another person that got on board early. And eventually you have a group of, of a number of aldermen that demand uh, the resignations of Kelly and I think later Lavelle also. Um, but, but it was a minority of the city council that got involved on this issue. And certainly Scott Waggis Peck, we have to give him credit for being at the forefront of that um, and saying what's going on in late summer of last year. Uh, because at that point, the mayor was like telling us, hey, you know, the inspector general is involved. I mean, until the, the inspector general was forced out, uh, the mayor was taking a very hands-off approach to this. And Scott Wagaspak, as her finance committee chairman, really went out on a limb to say, hey, what's going on here? You know, uh, she, she was shutting down our questions. She was blowing us off. She was saying, hey, you know, let the IG process go forward. I know this is your job, but I'm sick of you guys asking. That's what she told one of my colleagues who asked at a press conference. And I think after that inspector general got taken out is when the mayor's tone changed abruptly uh, to say, you know what? There's a lack of public confidence in this investigation. We have to restore that. And we have to do well by these young women who have come forward. Uh, so Scott Wagaspeck was, was uh, very instrumental in, I think, um, uh, bravely going ahead on an issue in a, in a town of yes men and yes women. Yeah, and I, watching this from afar, I'm in D.C., but one of the things that aggravated me, and I think I touched on it with the Mike Kelly thing, is it didn't seem like anyone in the Park District leadership and on the board, as far as we could tell, and in the mayor's office, there is a, what you guys reported, guys and girls probably, there was a goddamn fire in the park district that was causing women for 30 or 40 years, 45 years, to be sexually harassed and sexually assaulted all the time institutionalized. And it didn't seem like anyone was running in there to put it out. Right. They, right. they, they want, it seems like this was the Chicago two-step or stall. They're just, are they programmed to do it? Is that all they can do? Like we have a, we have a female park district board chair. We have a female mayor. One of the ideas around getting diversity in these positions of power is that they will respond differently to to allegations like this theoretically than men would but i swear to god if you took this reporting and put it 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago 40 years ago 50 years ago we would have had virtually the same response well there's a a woman who was the park district board president there's another woman now um and a, and a woman now is the ceo uh taking over for mike kelly but having said that that board president at that time was also, like I told you, a public relations person by yeah. trade and by background. And I think uh, the instinct often in the fifth floor public relations shop has always been, regardless of who the mayor is, to try to uh, at least stall and obfuscate. And there's not a lot of transparency. Like I said, we sued the mayor's office just to get a copy of the original complaint letter that they got. They wanted to censor it heavily. A court decided that they had censored it too heavily. 
And that was certainly the contention of us and our, and our FOIA lawyers, Matt Topic mm -hmm. and his colleagues on the FOIA team at the Lovi Law Firm, uh, who represent us in a number of matters and do an excellent job, by the way. But they had to be forced into greater transparency. And I shouldn't say too much because that lawsuit is ongoing. We've gotten some information like, you know, who vouched for Mike Kelly, who were, who were his references. And I, I'm sorry, I really can't remember it off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, don't worry about it. But um, uh, it's somewhere in my files. But um, we have gotten some information, but they were denying us very basic information from the start at the Park District. Uh, they were denying us. So they, they go publicly and they say, we've hired a law firm. They don't want to give us the name of the law firm. <laughs> they didn't want to give us the contract with the law firm. You're hiring them and paying them with public money. You're hiring them in the name of the public and paying them with the public's money. And what, what is your exemption from having to be transparent? We don't believe there was a legitimate exemption, but here we are, we go to court. And by the way, in these FOIA lawsuits, these lawsuits where we try to gain transparency, our lawyers get paid later on and under the mm -hmm. state FOIA law, they get they, the, the, the losing public agency has to pay the lawyers for the plaintiff, which in this case is Chicago public media. And so when you have people stonewalling and not being transparent, who pays ultimately? Again, the taxpayers. They do. And um, to be just transparent to everyone else, Matt Topic and uh, actually Merrick Wayne just finished the lawsuit for us against the CPD. And it's been three and a half, four years. And I, I forget the amounts, but it was in the tens of thousands of dollars right. they got for legal fees. Doesn't surprise um, me at all. I've, I've seen a lot of these cases against not just the city of Chicago, uh, Cook County, uh, CPS, uh, you name it. Uh, some suburbs we just uh, uh, we just had to sue and and got some um, some documents uh, through through the courts. Uh, you have to be patient. You have to be persistent. And um, they're the best. Uh, Shelly Geisler, actually, from Matt okay. Topic's team has worked on, has been the, the, the main uh, lawyer from that FOIA team working on this case. But, but we've worked with Merrick Garland. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Merrick Wayne. I was going to call him <laughs> Merrick Garland. Um, wow, that's good. That's good representation. The U.S. No, Attorney the, General. No, no, no. The state's attorney is involved. The feds yeah. haven't been involved yeah. here. Um, all right, so let's get back a little bit to the district here. So I do remember reading, I think in March 16th of this year, if I'm not mistaken, that the Park District has created an Office of Prevention and Accountability. Okay, correct. Okay. Well, I mean, that sounds like a great name. That sounds, I'm all for prevention and accountability. It's, it's, um, a, it's a bit Orwellian sounding, though, is what you're, is. What you're trying to say, maybe. Yeah, it is. Do we know what that's supposed to do? We know what it's supposed to do. We don't know if it's if it's functioning yet or if they've hired anyone to it yet. It was just approved as part of the budget. I think off the top of my head, it might have been around six hundred thousand dollars. And you know, in defense of of Rosas Carreño, who's created this office, uh, you know, obviously the process wasn't working before. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to play out. They had hearings, three public hearings. At one of the public hearings I went to. Uh, on the north side, um, you had somebody come in and say, well, why are you spending money on this? Uh, I feel like you're creating more bureaucracy and this money could be better spent uh, on, you know, the actual infrastructure of the parks or the programming for my kids. 
And she shut that down right away. She's like, I understand there's things that you want that we, you know, don't have here perhaps, or, or that you would like to see in the, in the park district in terms of programmatic offerings or, or facilities, but this needs to be done. This is my, my top priority is what she said. So, you know, they think that this is the way to go about it. Um, and, uh, you know, we will see going forward if we have continued cases and if, and obviously there must be, uh, some of this happening again, how, so the bigger question maybe is how is it dealt with going forward? Um, is it going to be different than what we've seen in the past, which was an absolute fiasco and a scandal? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they could have handled it worse. We're going to, we'll, we'll send it late to the IG months after we found out, and then we're going to fire the deputy IG that's leading the investigation. And then a lot of short time will force out the inspector general. We'll just take out the leadership of the office and probably what, like 30% of the staff in the office because it was small. Um, yeah, it's, it's so frustrating and it's so typical Chicago. And like, you think you've come far and it's like, oh yeah, this has just been going on at the park district for 45 years. Um, and we've done nothing in all those 45 years to protect these women. Um, yeah, and I, I hear that guy's complaints. I do hear them. But if you can't make it safe for women to come to those pools, and to be lifeguards at the beaches, I don't understand what you're doing. If they can't do that, there's not really a need for the park district. Right. Well, um, and again, to be fair to Chicago, you know, this was happening in Evanston. Well, I was so, just about to bring that up. Right. Uh, one, I mean, the, one of the tips we got right after the first story. So we got a ton of tips. And you can send me tips, by the way, at investigations at WBZ.org. That's easier than, you know, dmihalopoulos at yep. wbz.org. <laughs> I'll repeat that again, if you don't mind, Tracy. Investigations yeah, no at wbz.org. Um, but then I got to check that account. It's been a while since I've checked it. I just have a lot of tips I'm already following up on. But after that first story came out, we got a ton of tips from former lifeguards in Chicago. And also, we, we found out very quickly that there were more than 50 girls and young women who had signed a petition in Evanston, and that had been kept out of the public eye for a year. This also came out in August 2020 in Evanston that there was harassment, abuse, and assault alleged by lifeguards. And the allegations were against other male lifeguards and particularly uh, supervisors. It was basically lifeguards and other beach workers. They have they have gate attendants because they used to have they used to charge people to go mm -hmm. in there. Um, I don't know if they do anymore in Evanston. But they have, I think, six beaches there that are under the Evanston, uh, City of Evanston Parks and Recreation Department. And a bunch of people knew about it there, um, uh, up to the city manager uh, going back. Uh, and the city manager, you know, said she didn't know the extent of it or, or the, the details of it. Um, but, um, you know, I think a lot, a lot of top people in parks and certainly in, in HR there uh, knew about it for a year, met with the, the girls and young women to talk about it. Uh, and the girls and young women told us that they were blown off, that um, they hadn't had sexual harassment training even for a long time. And uh, obviously, again, like in Chicago at first, the uh, city officials in Evanston tried to defend it. But, you know, one of the things that happened at the beginning in Evanston that was different than Chicago is you get a statement from the city manager's office and the parks people in Evanston defending themselves. And the mayor who had just been elected in 2021, right before our story, he had heard about this too, just very, very shortly before we did or around the same time we did. 
And this new mayor, Daniel Biss, a former state lawmaker, you, mm-hmm. you, you probably know him as, uh, his new mayor of Evanston, Daniel Biss says, you know, I'm not sure that we did do the right thing here. I have a lot of questions here. And they have a special council meeting practically the day after our story. I mean, compare and contrast that to what we just discussed in Chicago. Evanston has a special meeting like on a Saturday night in the summer, like the day after the story comes out. Like, I think they called that special meeting before the story even came out, like right after we contacted them. And they hire within days uh, a former federal prosecutor um, who I know from from, uh, investigating city hall corruption in Chicago and other corruption cases. They hire this law firm to do an independent investigation, a a special counsel investigation, if you will. And much like the special counsel investigation at the Chicago Park District, uh, they find out that, that this was completely botched, although the officials defended their response. Um, and it was really some horrifying stuff in Evanston too. Uh, one of the young women, she was a girl really at the time that um, that she says that she was sexually assaulted while intoxicated uh, by, by a supervisor there, uh, showed me the text messages between her and that supervisor. And uh, I think, if I recall correctly, she was maybe 17 at the time. Uh, you know, I don't want to get into the details here. I mean, you could look up the stories if you'd like, but um, you know, there, there, it was it was you know very very gruesome and again pervasive sort of systemic stuff that was botched. And like in Chicago, ultimately you have a lot of resignations. Top people in the city manager's office, Parks. HR, um, all being let go around the same time or, or stepping down if, if you prefer. Yeah. And the, um, <clears throat> once again, oh, I just, it's so frustrating. <laughs> like all these, all that happens to these people who botch it or do nothing, it's like they lose their job. Right. And my problem with this, and I talk about it with wrongful convictions, um, I, as bad as the wrongful conviction as an individual, it, as bad as that horrible thing is, the bigger price to society might be the fact that they're allowing the person whoever did that crime that they're convicted of, especially if it's murder, to go out and stay on the street, right? And for it's not so much like, when was the first time you got it? Oh, you botched it. How many other people were sexually assaulted in the time you botched it to the time it came out? Because those are victims that there didn't have to be. Correct. I mean... One of these cases uh, occurred uh, practically after the first stories came out also, um, or at least some of the alleged um, sexual crimes happened even after the stories came out uh, last year. Um, here's the thing, Tracy, the question that you have to ask the state's attorney, I'll just put it this way. There is a law that says that there are mandatory reporters. There are yes. categories of mandatory yes. reporters. Yeah. I believe that includes parks officials. Uh, so they got to look at, you know, who knew what, when, and whether they acted in the way that the law requires. Um, and so, so far we haven't seen any cases against officials, but we know from the documents that we've seen from the letter that uh, Kim Fox's office sent to the park district last year that 
they are looking at at the handling of the matter and and we are she has said publicly um and i believe it's ongoing from what i understand or what at least what her spokeswoman tells me i believe it is ongoing that public corruption uh unit uh would be involved in addition to sex crimes but so far the only criminal cases that we've seen filed are sex crimes cases in, in the cases of two supervisors but in both chicago and evanston uh you know i i think you know i i can't say that they should or should not uh bring cases against certain individuals but you know again there is a law that uh, for mandatory reporting and and apparently it is i believe a misdemeanor crime i'll leave it to lawyers to to, to parse out what what's happened here and if it applies here so an activist as well who, who you know created these categories of, of mandatory reporters who have to tell uh, the state. I know there were some cases in the Park District where the, where the DCFS, you know, the state child welfare authorities were, were notified and, you know, it becomes complicated again if, if they're adults or not. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so again, I don't want to say that, that somebody should be charged or not, but I, I do know that all the charges so far have involved sex crimes. Uh, and uh, whether they're going to end up in in the realm of people who didn't report things quickly enough and, and whether that's something that they feel that they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, you're going to have to call uh, your friends at the state's attorney's office yeah, yeah. about that. Um, well, I, I doubt so, they would say anything unless yeah, they, they I agree. actually filed something. But No, I agree with you. But this is a, uh, a failure of Illinois law and probably law around the country. I was, I mean, I've been a mandatory reporter. I was a visiting professor at a university called University of St. Francis out in Joliet. And I oh, was sure. a mandatory reporter. Um, and I, I took that very seriously. I had a student come to me that wanted to talk about something. Um, and I just, you know, I said, I am fine to listen, but I got to let you know, I'm a mandatory reporter. So if you want to tell me something, that's fine. I have to report it. So right. don't and, think and what I tell you, we tell me is, is I can keep it secret. I can't, it's going to be reported. So if you want to have a talk, I'm fine doing it. But if you tell me something that I have to report, it's getting reported. Right. And I'm not a mandatory reporter. And right. some people have told me they would rather, I, I, of course, I told them, you know, here's the IG's office. Here are, right. here's the state's attorney's office. They're aware. Some of them would rather talk to us, you know, mm -hmm. and they've said that. Um, and, and we, we cannot violate their trust. Um, we've promised them confidentiality. Oh, yeah. we do, and you we should do give confidentiality to people who say that they are survivors generally, uh, we do that. Um, and once we agree to that, we have to, it's, it's a legal, you know, verbal contract, as I understand it. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but that's how I operate. That's what I abide by. And uh, their trust is paramount to me. And I will take to the grave uh, who they are. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have obviously a spreadsheet to keep track of everyone myself, yeah. but um, it's, it's kept uh, very securely. Uh, some people, um, you know, we talk to unencrypted apps or we meet them in a park or, like I said, in a diner. Uh, they can come forward to me um, knowing that uh, they, they can talk uh, confidentially and anonymously to us. However, it's up to them if they want to talk uh, to law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I think in one of these cases, at least, uh, there was uh, one of the two cases that has become a criminal matter. And uh, I have to check on the status there. They're, they're ongoing cases that, have been, as far as I understand, um, 
and and you know they're innocent until proven guilty, as you know better than anyone, Tracy. But uh, in some of those cases, I think people who had talked to the IG were then compelled to talk to the police. There's someone in the Park District IG's office that I think is detailed, or at least at one time was working on this case, who is a police officer uh, detailed to the IG's office or to work with them on, on developing these things into criminal cases where appropriate and where, you know, the survivors are willing because, you know, they are the key to all this. And I haven't talked enough about them here, uh, but they are, they are the ones who deserve the kind of justice that they want. And Correct. we have seen in a lot of public situations, the blowback that they get, the way that they're attacked, the way that maybe their sexual history is delved into. And so whenever anybody came to me uh, and, and they were all people that came to me, um, they have to be comfortable uh, with what we are doing. I, you know, will, they will know what from the interview is going to be used uh, in print, you know, meaning on the web. Some of these mm -hmm. stories might be in the Sun-Times, which is, you know, now part of Chicago public media. Um, they um, are on the air. You know, a couple of these stories went on Morning Edition on NPR. So it was not just in Chicago. It was on yep. stations across the country, uh, hundreds of stations. Um, uh, you would have heard this story uh, from Chicago. And by the way, I like to say Morning Edition is, is uh, the most listened to radio program in the country now that Rush Limbaugh is no longer in the realm of the Hallelujah. living. Hallelujah. <laughs> But, um, you know, be that as it may, um, all of them had the option to back out, which, you know, you and I are doing this interview. And if I say something, I can't, I can't ask you to delete it. Yep. I know, I know what I'm getting into, uh, but they're not people that are used to dealing with the media in most cases, in almost Correct. every case. And so I just tell them, look, I'm going to have as much flexibility and as much patience as they need. And at the same time, we are going to be inflexible and imp impatient with those who would try to bury this, who would try to obfuscate, and who don't want to deal with this the way that they're supposed to. Yeah, and that's, that's the way my it should promise be. to them. That's my yeah, promise. and that's the way it's got to be. And I think um, their courage is what allowed you to do the story and allow allows for um, the scrutiny to come upon the system and hopefully there's the change we need it to be. Um, I am a pessimistic bastard and the fact that we're in this 21, 2021 and 2022 and we're still talking about decades old sex scandals that the and current sex scandals and accusations that the Park District both in Chicago and now Evanston have handled basically the same way anyone would have expected them to be handled in 1980 does not give you a whole lot of um, reason to be cherry and um, <laughs> happy. Well, look, if this, not to, not to doubt the authenticity of your pessimism or, or the foundation of it, but I would say this, that I, I believe that I think almost all of the girls and women I'm still in contact with and I've heard back from. And I think a lot of them were happy that the story came out. They were happy with the way they were portrayed in the stories and that they were expressing themselves in the stories. And I think a lot of them took some, however, bittersweet mm -hmm. uh, satisfaction 
from the fallout, let's just say in general. I yeah. don't, don't want to, you know, some of them were on record saying that they thought that there should be more, uh, that there should be resignations um, that did happen. Uh, and that included, you know, the first two people that went to the mayor and then to the, uh, or, or rather to the CEO of the park district and then to the mayor complaining A and complaining B. Bo both of them I, I, I've interviewed um, and both of them want to remain anonymous, but, um, you know, both of them felt that, that this was really mishandled. Um, mm -hmm. and you could see the interviews that we did with them. Uh, they, I think both of them came forward, uh, to me several months after the first story, you know, yeah. and, and, and then trusted, uh, us. And I hope we did right by them. Well, I certainly think so. And I listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not the courage it took to, for these women to come out um, and tell their stories and risk the blowback of a misogynist society we still live in um, can never be underestimated because um, it's massive. Uh, the women who signed that petition in Evanston, it's the same thing. Um, it's just, it's just, so the whole thing is so frustrating. Um, I don't, I don't see and maybe it's because I'm not in politics. I don't see the gain. Like I said, when I was at St. Francis or I taught at UIC too, I got, I got a complaint that sucker was going in, in minutes. Like I am not protecting anyone. I don't give a, could have been my best friend. You're going, I'm sorry. I'm not protecting you. Why, um, why the whole system just like threw up barriers and uh, how Avis DeVellis could say it's all sour grapes from these women is just, um, and this day and it's completely day and age that we're in and after me too started right where all these things are supposed to have changed um unfortunately less has changed than we want okay I dan malopoulos reporter at bez uh great job on the report man thank you so thanks, much for doing the work and uh thanks for jumping on i really appreciate it yeah all, all credit to those young women and some who are, are no longer all that young <laughs> um and uh, they, but but came forward, and I hope it was cathartic to some extent to them, and, and um, that they get justice uh, ultimately in in every case. Once again, I want to thank reporter extraordinaire Dan Malahopoulos from WBEZ for joining us on the pod today in this great discussion. Thank him again for all the great work and great reporting, both in Chicago and it's extended to Evanston. I have a feeling more is coming out related to both those places and um, the politics sure is horrible about all of this. I mean, if you look, Avis Lavelle's comment, Alderman Wonka's pack, you can get that in, uh, in a previous podcast. We talked to Alderman Wonka's pack about his experiences. He's one of the lone voices in the city council out there calling for accountability. And he was in a meeting as we talked about with uh, the park district chair board chair, Avis Lavelle. And she basically said, oh, this is just sour grapes from women. If we're going to get that response from women about other women claiming about sexual, have being sexually harassed, sexually abused, and sexually assaulted. Why do we need diversity? We can get that same response from a white guy. And we did with Mike Kelly, but you think that Ava Slabelle being a woman would be more sensitive to it and hold people more to account. That did not happen. So where's the political accountability? So Mike Kelly got fired, forced out. Avis Lavelle got forced out. I would ask, when did, and I think we need a city council hearing, we need to put the park district board members up there 
And we need to know, when did you know? When did you hear? What did you hear? What did you do? And if that is unsatisfactory, they need to go. And we need prosecutors to look into, did the board members, did Avis Devel, did Mike Kelly do something that was criminal? They need to be investigated. This is disgusting. When those allegations come, those should be considered a four-alarm fire, period. Four-alarm fire. We need to dig into this now. We need to tell the IG, and we need to get the state's attorney on this immediately, especially as they started racking up. You don't fire the investigator that was looking at the case, that was heading up the investigation, Deputy Inspector General, and then you don't fire the Inspector General from the office. There are only like five or six people, and they capped off the leadership of it. During the investigation, those, whoever did that politically needs to be held to account, not just lose their board spot. If it was someone on the board, they need to go to jail and they need to go to prison. If we don't have the laws to hold those people accountable, we need to create them. That is um, 100% for sure, because this just shows you, like, what did Mike Kelly have to worry about? He covered up sexual assault, and it seems like he may have known months before he originally said he knew. We knew that the, what we thought was the original allegation made it to his desk. What's the liability? He lost his job? That's not enough. That's not enough of a deterrent to get people to act. You know how we know? Because Mike Kelly didn't act. You know how we know it wasn't for Avis? Well, she didn't act. Same thing with the mayor, to be honest with you. I'll let the inspector general look into it. No, no, no. Wash our hands. Don't anything. I have no control over the board. BS. There needs to be some real consequences. Or these things are just going to keep repeating. This has been going on, like Dan, right? It's been going on for almost my entire life. They have allegations, I think, going back to like 1975. I was born in 71. So they have sexual assault allegations. Dan was able to find them going back almost 50 years almost 50 years heads should be rolling two heads rolled and that's probably and there's going to be a couple of prosecutions for sexual assault or sexual abuse and that's going to be it and then everyone's going to go on their merry way sickening so sickening thank you for tuning in i really appreciate it please like share subscribe also um a couple things um We'll be back hopefully late next week with another episode with um, Jody Cohen, I believe is next on the list for interview from WBEZ. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, from ProPublica, Illinois. She's um, and her um, journalist partner there that did the story. His name is escapes me at the moment. They did the story on ticketing of youth at schools for misbehavior in schools. Can't wait to dig into that. So we'll hopefully be next back next week. Um, with an episode with that interview. I think that interview is scheduled for Thursday, so we should get it out early next week. Um, and also, we are in the midst of our 15th anniversary fundraiser. Go to our homepage and donate. Go to the homepage, upper right, click donate. There you go. We'd really appreciate it. If you're interested in helping us raise money for this podcast, for all our transparency work, uh, we just filed a FOIA this morning at the Office of Unifor Unified Communications in Washington, D.C. We have lit litigation going on in D.C. against the Metropolitan Police Department related to gang uh, affiliation data, how, what, the, what they collect, how they collect it, and who they share it with. That is ongoing. We have ongoing litigation against Kim Fox at the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. We have... Um, 
ongoing litigation we just filed against the Illinois Department of Corrections. We have ongoing, well, about to be ongoing litigation against five separate justice agencies in the state of Maryland. All of that is ongoing besides producing the podcast, besides producing the research we're doing. So if you want to donate, chicagojustice.org, upper right-hand corner, click on donate. If you want to raise money, drop us a line on any of our social media, but also at info at chicagojustice.org, and we'll hook you up. And um, if you want to get involved, cjpnation.org, and you can get involved. We have dozens and dozens of volunteers and interns doing research for us right now. Sexual assault on campus, stalking on campus, cops in schools, the CAHOOTS crisis response. I know I'm missing some. Police surveillance, all of that has groups active right now um, doing that research. So if you want to get involved, cjpnation.org or drop us a line at info at chicagojustice.org. Go to chicagojustice.org to donate. Okay, thank you so much. I will see you next week.